Good evening, Crypt Keepers, and welcome to the Dudley Town Curse episode. I'm joined, as always, by a man who loves to read listener emails. Ryan, what's up? I do. All right, we got a couple for what today. A- okay. All right, so from Taylor A. Howdy. Great podcast. You've been added to my list of only three or so podcasts that I listen to with any regularity. Great honor. That's kind of like me. I don't... They're a podcast I'll search, but yeah, I don't subscribe. Me and my bun in the oven listen to your show quite a bit since I'm still catching up on old episodes. Anywho, on to the purpose of this email. I listened to your Kappa episode today and it reminded me of a topic I've wanted to request for quite some time. The yokai are probably the funniest and most wide-ranging group of cryptids or legends. They've got all sorts of funky characters like a giant sandal, an anthropomorphic futon, <laughs> a dude that licks bathroom floors, <laughs> and countless more. If this tickles your fancy, clearly it does. <laughs> I'd love to hear you all talk about a few of them. All the best, Taylor and the boys. <laughs> She's got a couple beautiful uh, Great Danes. Just the biggest, you know, funnest coolest dogs out there yeah great danes are awesome yeah they're great dogs they're a little bit bigger than what i think i could handle but i I do love great danes so thanks so much to taylor and wish you all the best and please keep in touch we love the uh input and i mean obviously i think yokai is something we'll probably get to tackling pretty soon here because that sounds awesome so yeah and we also have another one from melanie r says hey guys love the show i work the security desk at an office building overnight and sometimes i don't feel like making the rounds especially after listening to the scarier episodes what do you plan for the halloween season thanks and love the show what are we doing for halloween is halloween a big deal on cryptique oh it (laughs) is a big deal on cryptique So we've got some cool stuff planned. One thing we're going to do, and I don't know exactly how we're going to release it, but we're going to do the backstories uh, fan fiction on the ghosts from 13 Ghosts. So that'll be one kind of Halloween special episode. And then we have in the works a free zombie road tour for Crypt Keepers and Crypt Keepers families and Crypt Keepers friends and anyone that wants to come. And basically it's just going to be a tour of the zombie road area with a, you know, explanation of all the different hauntings, all the different strange deaths and stuff like that. It's going to be a, a nice, fun little hike. You get to be out in nature. Uh, you get to bring your cameras, your voice recorders, your Frank boxes, or whatever kind of ghost hunting stuff you have. So we're going to do that, and we're going to release an episode that is centered on Zombie Road that just tells all the stories, in case you can't make the uh, tour. But we'd love it if you could come out and hang out with us for a little bit and i'm sure we're gonna have some scary episodes too you know we'll we'll pick some on some scary ghosts or you know some monsters something like that so yeah there's uh big stuff in the works for for halloween maybe you know what we should do let's do like a pumpkin carving contest you guys send us your coolest jack-o'-lanterns and we'll pick a winner and you'll get some uh, merch how's that sound That'd be a good cool. idea. 
Yeah, I, I haven't thought too much about what topics I'd like to cover for sort of the Halloween season. So there's plenty of stuff. That's what we've got planned for Halloween. Plenty. Ryan, tell them what they need to know. As always, if you want to help us out, and we hope you do, please interact <laughs> with the podcast and whatever we can on your podcast platform. It really helps us out. Share it with somebody you think will like it. Uh, let your Great Danes listen to it. Check out what we're selling at CrypticPodcastStore.com and check us out on YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, and all of our other socials. I'm sure those will be in the show notes. They absolutely will. All right. What's been conjured up tonight? For years, ghost hunters have been captivated by stories of Dudley Town, a disappeared village in Connecticut. According to legends, the village was haunted by ghosts and demons, and people mysteriously vanished. These unsettling events were believed to result from a curse brought by the Dudley family to the New World. However, the authenticity of this curse remains uncertain. Dudley Town was once an abandoned settlement situated in the Dark Entry Forest in northwestern Connecticut in the U.S. Today, it is mainly known as a ghost town. Sadly, vandalism and trespassing have led to the site being off-limits to the public. Since the mid-1920s, the area where the village once stood has been privately managed by philanthropists as a land trust. They dedicated efforts to reforest the land, which had previously been used for agriculture. Today, only a few remnants, like cellar holes, hint at the original village's existence. I find that really creepy in mm -hmm. real life. Like oh, I've, yeah. I, Kim and I love exploring, you know. Mm -hmm. We uh, <laughs> we recently found some problems with my current car. We used to explore using my... I had a uh, Subaru Outback with a manual because that mm -hmm. thing would go anywhere. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't so off-roady that it was bad at being on-road. You know what I mean? Like I looked at a Wrangler because my brother mm -hmm. works at a dealership. And he was like, man, those things are so good off-road. They suck on-road. He's like, I, I don't think I would recommend buying one because yeah. like 99% of the time it's going to suck. But... The problem is my little ancient Audi that I won't give up because I'm emotionally attached to it. Mm -hmm. It It's so low, it'll scrape the ground in some of these places. Yeah. But Kim and I have gone to like abandoned, you know, factories and all sorts mm -hmm. of abandoned places. And one of the creepier things is seeing like foundations of houses where there's still a basement or a cellar or you'll find like an old uh, bomb shelter or something like that. And it's like, what? What used to be here? Mm -hmm. I, I even think about that in developed areas, like in St. Louis, right on the uh, east side of the river. Mm -hmm. If you're going over, if you just go over the bridge, like if you're going down, what is it, 44? Mm -hmm. And you're going across to the other side, you can see all these little roads underneath crisscrossing. And they're mm -hmm. used for industrial purposes over there. But like you can tell that there used to be more stuff there than there is now. Yeah. You can tell there's like sidewalks there, but no buildings. Like I don't know why, but I find that all like creepy, and I love it. <laughs> I'm with you, man. It is maybe creepy. I'm just a simpleton, <laughs> but it's like well, it's like you're yeah, seeing we, the the buildings that were once alive are now dead. Starting in the 1980s, rumors of ghostly activities surfaced, leading to frequent vandalism of the site. As a result, the landowners made the difficult decision to close the area to the public to protect it from further damage. And I don't like that they're linking basically ghost hunting to vandalism. Yeah. Because I don't, I mean, you know, I've been out on a lot of 
ghost hunts and and it was with one particular group but there is no way that anybody in our group would have put up with somebody vandalizing a place we were investigating no definitely not in my experience i'm more into urban exploration than ghost hunting Mm -hmm. like just as a personal thing Mm -hmm. but neither group vandalizes anything Mm -hmm. that's just not what they do i've never known anybody who's into either that would vandalize in fact most people i know who are into urban exploration and there are like urbex groups in st louis and all over the place um most of them like if you're a member you are you are not allowed if they find out that you've taken something you're Mm -hmm. out yeah you're not even allowed to take stuff you can't be like oh look there's a I don't even know what you would find. Like, oh, look, there's this old keyboard or something. Mm-hmm. Let me take that or or like some pens or a book or whatever. It's like you're supposed to leave it exactly as it is so the next person can discover it. Exactly. And and I don't I mean, I'm sure there's people out there that aren't ghost hunters. You know, they go out there to hide, you know, to drink or get high or whatever. And they might spray paint like you know 666 or something like that that's not a ghost hunter a ghost hunter is no. not gonna you know vandalize with like 666 and satan was here and stuff like that that's that's punk ass kids just doing what punk ass kids do so <laughs> yeah yeah it is usually kids like i remember a house i explored um like an abandoned farmhouse mm-hmm. and it was clear that the people who'd been in there were kids mm-hmm. there were beer cans all over the place you know, like cigarette butts all over. Like it was, there was an old couch that had been dragged in there. Yeah, it was clear that it was being used as like a party spot, probably by high schoolers. Because yeah. why else would somebody do? I mean, one of my neighbors died last year, early this year, mm-hmm. and the house has been empty. It's being managed by a trust, mm-hmm. and we've had issues with like high school kids just partying in the backyard because <laughs> this house has a like kind of a lot of land. Mm-hmm. And they have a dock onto this lake because we're on the little like cove part of it, but they're like looking out over the whole thing. So, I mean, I can see the appeal, but it's not, it's not people exploring the area and like look, you know, they wouldn't close the house off. Like, we're not going to sell, we're not going to show this publicly because people are vandalizing it or whatever. It's like, it's not people interested in buying it or doing it. Right. Just like it's not ghost hunters who are, who are interested in vandalizing, you know, ghost hunting sites or, Right. It's not somebody that spent $500 on a Frank box and $4,000 on a Panasonic <laughs> recorder that's, you know, like, I'm going to spray paint a picture of it. Yeah, they're like, hold on, I got to stop by Dollar General to get some spray paint. Right. So that's that's just kind of a, a you know, a thing that I don't want to attach to ghost hunting because it's not ghost mm-hmm. hunters that are vandalizing. So. Yeah, yeah, you should probably get into history before I go on another rant history. Dudley Town was never an official town, but it was a name given to a section of Cornwall in Connecticut that included several members of the Dudley family. The area was settled in the early 1740s by Thomas Griffiths, followed by Gideon Dudley and later by Barzillai Dudley and Abiel Dudley in 1753. Martin Dudley joined them a few years afterwards and other families also settled in the area, but like the rest of Cornwall, Connecticut, Dudley Town, was originally covered in forest, but it was gradually converted into farmland. 
Families lived and cultivated the land for generations, but due to its location on top of a high hill, Dudley Town was not the most suitable place for farming. As more fertile and spacious lands became available in the Midwest during the mid-19th century and the local iron industry declined, Cornwall's population dwindled, including the inhabitants of Dudley Town. What about the geography and conservation? <laughs> well, let's talk about that. All right. The village of Dudley Town was situated a few miles south of Cornwall Bridge in Cornwall. Such a creative name. <laughs> Better than Cornhole. <laughs> it resided in a valley called Dark Entry Forest, named after the shadows cast by the surrounding mountains and access road. Unfortunately, the village's abandonment over time has led to very few remnants of the original township being preserved. In the early 20th century, many old farms in Cornwall, including Dudley Town, were sold to New Yorkers looking for a better rural lifestyle. See, that kind of thing's been going on for a long time. People trying to get out of the cities. Can't blame them. Since 1924, Dudley Town has been under private ownership by Dark Entry Forest Incorporated. God, that would be a cool name. Jesus, my next my next LLC has to have like a cool, weird, mysterious name. Yes. <laughs> no, like, you know this entertainment or this you know financial like mm -hmm. today the village site is off limits to the public as we said before and trespassers are strictly prosecuted by the connecticut state police and the department of energy and environmental protection back in march of 1924 when promoting the land trust to investors the dark entry forest prospectus outlined various goals including promoting forestation operating a woodmill conserving bird animal and wildflower life and providing a recreational space for current and future generations following its acquisition the owners took significant steps to reforest the area by planting thousands of trees good for them yeah yeah i like i love it actually i love it when places do that uh mm -hmm. i don't know if you're familiar with where i live not really. And I, I'm sure they do this stuff on the Missouri side too, but in Edwardsville and Madison County in general, mm -hmm. uh, they've taken a lot of these old railroads, mm -hmm. you know, like there are still some that are in use, but there are a lot that aren't because the railroads were like massively overbuilt yeah. you know, at a point in history around the turn of the last century. And they've turned them into trails, bike trails. So there are tons of places mm -hmm. you can go in town just with a bike because there are trails all over the place and they put huge amounts of money into mm -hmm. making sure they're safe like they take down old uh, train trusses they plant you know all sorts of trees and flowers and garden beds and things like that and they even tunnel under roads so the so you can cross major streets without having to take your life into your own hands anyway in the 1930s the <laughs> Hold on. No, no. I can do this. I can do this. I have to pass a brainstone. Skidravirin? Woof. Okay. There we go. I think that's it. Sounds good. I had to like... Okay. Uh, that's a club from New York, and they spent their winter weekend skiing on trails they constructed in the region. During the summers, they enjoyed canoeing down the Housatonic. Housatonic? Sounds good. I've never heard of it. Or is it Houstonic, like Houston? Anyway, Houstonic River. Additionally, the site hosted horse riding camps for children. Recently at a work uh, meeting, every Friday we do like a, a coffee talk meeting. I know I've told you about that before off the show. Coffee talk. Coffee talk. Um, 
we were talking about uh, names, names mm-hmm. and acronyms and terms and stuff like that, and how we sometimes have misunderstandings because we never say them out loud. Mm-hmm. Like you write them so many times, and then you're on a phone call talking about it, and nobody knows what you're talking about because you pronounce it a different way than they did. <laughs> yeah, I'm so done with acronyms, dude. See, the only one I remember is crap. The cryptic roadside assistance package that we talked about last time. Well, that's true. It's not worth getting into. Let's talk about rumors and vandalism. A local rumor that circulated widely on the internet suggests that the founders of Dudley Town were descendants of Edmund Dudley, an English nobleman who was executed for treason during Henry VIII's reign. According to the legend, Dudley family carried a curse that traveled with them to America when they settled in Dudley Town. The curse has been associated with various misfortunes in the village, including crop failures, mental illness, and several reported violent deaths. However, local historians have not found any genealogical connection between the Dudley family in Cornwall and the English noblemen, and have pointed out numerous factual inconsistencies in the rumors. Records indicate that the land where Dudley Town once stood was originally occupied by the Mohawk Nation, who considered it sacred ground. So probably don't want to build on sacred Native American ground, but that's just me. The decline of the village, however, has been attributed to its distant location from a reliable source of clean drinking water and the soil being unsuitable for successful cultivation. Two things that you think one would search out and find a conclusion to before deciding to start a town and farm in the area. Starting from the 1990s, the Cornwall police have had to respond to numerous cases of vandalism in the area. The 1999 movie, The Groundbreaking Blair Witch Project, which is about a haunted forest, sparked greater interest in the supposedly haunted village. Unfortunately, this increased attention led to a rise in incidents, prompting the owners of Dudley Town's property to make the difficult decision to close it to the public legally. As a result, Dudley Town remains off-limits to visitors due to its private ownership and the need to protect the site from further damage caused by trespassers and vandals. Vandals cause damage. Trespassers don't necessarily cause damage. So, Not necessarily, yeah. I've seen lots of videos of um, urban explorers who were trespassing, who were arrested, who probably did less damage than like the security guards who stomp through there on a daily basis. Exactly. Yeah, that's a great point. But where did this curse originate? Find out after a quick break. Welcome back, Crypt Keepers. Tell us, where did this curse originate? <laughs> According to recent and imaginative accounts, the curse associated with Dudley Town supposedly originated in England in 1510. Edmund Dudley, involved in a plot against King Henry VIII, was beheaded, and it is believed that a curse was placed on his family, condemning all Dudley descendants to face horror and death. 
The Dudley family allegedly experienced a series of misfortunes, starting with Edmund's son, John Dudley, attempting to control the British throne by arranging a marriage between his son, Guilford, and Lady Jane Grey, who briefly became queen before their plan failed, and all three were executed. Guilford's brother returned from France with a plague that spread throughout Britain, causing widespread death and suffering, adding to the family's woes. Amidst these troubles, John Dudley's third son, Robert, Earl of Leicester, chose to leave England and travel to the New World. It was his descendant, William Dudley, who eventually settled in Guilford, Connecticut. Bill. That's an interesting... Guilford, and then... Okay. Yeah, and, and his name. The... Yeah. Three of William Dudley's descendants, namely... Uh, Abiel, Barzillai, and Gideon... There's a name I know. <laughs> Later purchased land in Cornwall Township. Man, they had some cool names back in the day. Those need to come back. Yeah. We don't need to have people named Kal-El when you have, like, Barzillai as an option. That's right. While there were indeed unsettling events surrounding the Dudley family in England and France, doubts have been raised about whether any actual curse followed them to America. One of the main reasons for questioning the curse's existence is that there is no genealogical connection between William Dudley, the founder of Dudleytown, and Robert Dudley, Earl of Leicester, from whom the curse supposedly originated. Robert Dudley had only two sons, and both remained in Italy with their own families, meaning there was no direct link to William or his descendants. Despite the lack of evidence for a curse, Dudleytown has gained a chilling reputation over the years, which has led to speculations about other possible explanations. Many places across the country have eerie occurrences where the land seems peculiar and unexplainable. You know, we've talked about forests and all sorts of... Ley know, lines and stuff. Yeah, naturally occurring places that seem to have some kind of energy to them. So, mm -hmm. Records indicate that the land around Dudleytown was once a part of the Mohawk Indian tribal grounds, but little else is known about its history before the arrival of the first settlers. The region's reputation for strange happenings and mysterious disappearances raises the question of whether these stories could be connected to the past in some way or if they are simply a combination of coincidences and imagination. I mean, people do naturally look for patterns. Sure. The Tanner family, the Jones, the Pattersons, the Dibbles, <laughs> and the Porters were among the residents who settled in Dudleytown. The community grew even more when iron ore was discovered nearby, shifting the focus from farming to mining. However, Dudleytown lacked essential amenities like stores, shops, schools, and churches. Residents had to buy provisions from nearby towns, and in the unfortunate event of death, they had to travel to Cornwall since there was no cemetery in Dudleytown. The population of Dudleytown was never large, and at its peak, the number of families residing there reached only 26, as indicated by an 1854 map. Nevertheless, the town prospered for a while, known for its timber that was used to produce wood coal for iron furnaces in Cornwall and neighboring areas. I wonder what kind of wood that would be. Uh, I have no idea. Over time, the iron furnaces relocated closer to railroads and more industrialized towns, rendering the lumber from Dudleytown unnecessary. Iron ore was still used from the area for a period, and the town boasted three water-powered mills. However, most of these mills eventually closed due to the challenging journey down the mountain to transport their goods. We need a dog sitter, so if you guys... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> if you like coming out on Sundays, yeah, we need uh, Taylor to come dog yeah. sit while we're doing this. 
Despite outward signs of prosperity, Dudley Town was plagued by strange deaths and bizarre occurrences from its early days. Some historians have tried to downplay these unusual events in recent times. The legends surrounding Dudley Town have been subject to debunking efforts. Critics point out that the town had a small population, which could explain the seemingly high number of unusual happenings and deaths when compared to larger towns. So I guess from a statistical point of view. Right. They attempt to downplay the disappearances, cases of insanity, and strange deaths, suggesting that such events may occur in any community. But obviously they would stick out more in a small one. Right. However, despite attempts to rationalize the occurrences, the unusual happenings in such an isolated area with a small population still raise questions. Many people went insane or vanished, even beyond what is documented. It's no surprise that stories about a Dudley Town curse emerged. Some Dudley family members lived long and full lives elsewhere, which challenges the notion of a curse, at least on that family. Seems more likely that it might be related to the land itself. But we will find out about Abiel Dudley's misfortunes after a quick break. Welcome back, Crypt Keepers. Abiel Dudley, who remained in town, experienced a series of misfortunes leading to the loss of his fortune and eventually his sanity. He died in 1799, but before that he, you know, he couldn't pay his debts anymore and the town took his property and made him a ward. Yeah, back then, I mean, there wasn't, I don't believe that bankruptcy was a tool that you had. I mean, mm-hmm. bankruptcy is a really, I, I think it can be abused. I'm, sh- mm-hmm. I'm certain it can be abused. I'm certain I know somebody who's abused it, but yeah. it's a tool to help people get a fresh start that didn't used to exist. I mean, we used to have debtors prisons, right? We'd have indentured servitude. So mm-hmm. that didn't exist. Apparently back then you could just be, all right, you're, you're the, the town's sort of adopted invalid now or or however they considered you yeah it's a really weird thing it's hard to compare it to anything that takes place today at least in the states so yeah or in probably most western countries yeah toward the end of his life he suffered from senility and insanity and he wouldn't be the last in the area to experience these afflictions In 1792, seven years before Abiel Dudley's passing, his neighbor and friend Gershon Hollister died tragically while constructing a barn at William Tanner's home, who was Abiel's closest neighbor. And, yep, I don't know if you guys have ever seen, like, video of people putting up a pole barn, but there's some really tricky kind of uh, situations where you mess up you don't go home yeah it's a lot of like leveraging yeah and if you get it wrong could be disastrous that's right these unfortunate events further fueled the eerie reputation of the region tanner who also lived in dudley town was said to have gone insane in his old age likely due to natural factors like senility rather than the supernatural but on cryptique we never rule out the supernatural course not why we're here that's right he lived to the remarkable age of 104 and records indicate that he was slightly demented before his death which would be expected at the age of 
104. And and I don't know. I'm pretty sure that was in my like high school record in my file, slightly demented. <laughs> yeah, well, well before 104. But I mean, I think the average age, you, you know, he probably almost doubled what the average lifespan would have been in, you know, the late 1790s. Yeah, so. I don't know. I mean, I've read before that the average life expectancy was pulled down by people dying so young mm-hmm. and that if you lived past childhood, you're likely to live at an age comparable to what we do today. Gotcha. Although, I mean, just as a like public service announcement, I read recently that the U.S. is experiencing a decrease in life expectancy and is the only developed country to do so. And that's attributed to the cost of our healthcare system. Mm-hmm. Yep, the healthcare system is set up to where, like, I'm seeing things in the store now. Uh, I'm looking at supplements, and they're like, "Oh, your kids are having trouble falling asleep. Give them this." And it's like, "Yeah, I don't really want to, you know, just start giving, you know." And it's like for toddlers, like I'm not giving my toddler some kind of sleeping pill you know whether it's a supplement or not so it's yeah we've had our pediatrician say like oh if rose is having trouble going to sleep you know you can give her uh like a tylenol pm or something yeah no i'll just watch you know i'll I'll watch uh better call Saul or the new one piece or something with her until until she falls asleep that's that's fine i don't need to drug up a baby (laughs) yeah i mean everything is set towards drugs here you have you know them trying to load up kids like oh well he's got ocd or add or adhd let's give him all this shit and you know they're like wow you know the you know these diagnoses are you know increasing they're increasing so much and it's like yeah but are the instances of someone that has these, you know, afflictions or whatever, is that actually increasing? Or is it doctors being like, oh, your, you know, second grade boy has trouble sitting still in his chair at school? Well, mm-hmm. let's drug him up. We can do that. And then it just continues and continues and continues. Keep an hyperactive kid in a room and tell him to sit still for eight hours. That's, yeah. that's not going to go well. Uh, j- I mentioned this guy before. I think um, I think I mentioned him when we talked to Dr. Macklin. Ken Robinson mm-hmm. wrote a book called The Element, and one of the people that he talked about was Jillian Lynn, who is a Broadway choreographer. Mm-hmm. She did the choreography for Cats and Phantom of the Opera, I think. Those are the Ooh, ones that he specifically called out. Two of out. my favorites. And... He talked about how, you know, she was one of those stories that he talked about, like somebody who found the thing they're supposed to do. Mm -hmm. And he talked about how when she was a kid, she had trouble sitting still and paying attention and things like that. And he said they probably would have diagnosed her with ADHD, but they they didn't know that was an option yet. So so they they tried to figure out, like, what do we do with this kid? Like, what does she do? And and she had a teacher who called her mother in and they, you know, talked for a while. And then he said, I you know, hey, Jillian, I need to take your mother outside and talk to her in private. And he turned on a radio on his desk. And as soon as they were outside, he was like, let's just watch her. Let's just see what she does. And he said, like, immediately she was up and kind of dancing around and moving Mm -hmm. with this music. And he was like, oh, there's nothing wrong with her. She's a dancer. Put her in a dance school. Yeah. Like, she she shouldn't be here. And that's a much different approach than we have today. 
you know, if that happened today, I mean, how many, who knows how many Jillian Lynn's are out there mm-hmm. that are just on Adderall. Yep. Just zoned out. Now, just real quick before we keep going with Dudley Town. So for our international listeners, in the United States, and I believe it's the only country in the world that allows big pharma ads on TV for sure, and probably on radio as well. So if you're in Spain, you don't have any big pharma commercials coming on TV. Here, it is literally every single fucking commercial every single one and you can go on the radio you can go watch tv whatever you will find that i I mean i gotta say half the ads are big pharma for real and then we've got lady gaga doing a big pharma commercial just singing away (laughs) i'm lady gaga look at me everybody wants to be like me so get on big pharma and then you've got uh the asian guy from the hangover you know, pimping eye drops. Yeah. So, yeah. What is it? Yeah. And well, and he's an actual medical doctor too. I think that's why they got him to do it. But yeah. So that's what we deal with. Most developed countries don't want demand for medicine being driven by the patients. They don't want a pharmaceutical company coming out and saying like, Hey, have you experienced these like 15 different symptoms? You should talk to your doctor about this medicine. Yeah. In some cases, I'm sure it's been useful like I'm sure there's a, there are anecdotal stories mm-hmm. where somebody has said like, Hey, what about this medicine? And the doctor's like, Oh, I hadn't heard of that. Let's, yeah. let's look into that and give that a try. And it worked. But overall, I think it makes people want to look for a medicinal solution to yeah. any problem that they have. Yep. Give me a pill. It's the, give me a pill society. And all these things that, we're pumping into our kids well what if they cause cancer because you know you've done your study on 5,000 people over the course of six weeks but what happens to them in 20 years oh they get cancer fuck well good thing we have treatment for that you can just give us all your money for cancer treatment and then we'll keep you alive until you're 100 and you'll have a shitty last 20 years of your life but we're going to keep you alive so you can, you know, keep spending all your money on pharmaceuticals. Yeah, I mean, there's even a story out that I saw recently saying that Apple was aware that the iPhone 12 series was potentially putting out unsafe levels of radiation or levels of radiation beyond what's allowed. Mm-hmm. And they pressured their engineers to keep quiet about it. Yep. So I'm starting to see memes about like, oh, iPhone 12 users in 10 years. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll we need to do a, just a big pharma after party or something. But let's get back yeah. to Dudley Town. So this is where it starts to get interesting. Some stories have circulated about Tanner speaking of strange creatures coming out of the woods at night. But it's unclear if these accounts were products of unexplained phenomena or simply the result of his feeble mental state. This is prime Wendigo territory just throwing that out mm-hmm. there so so the house that once belonged to abiel dudley before he came a ward of the state was originally inhabited by the nathaniel carter family and they settled in 1759 a mysterious plague struck dudley town in cornwall claiming the lives of the 
Adoniram Carter family who were relatives of Nathaniel. Grieving their loss, the Carter family left Dudley Town in 1763 and moved to Binghampton, New York. Some believe that the alleged curse of Dudley Town followed them, but their tragic fate was unfortunately not uncommon during the early frontier days. In their new home in the Delaware wilderness, deep within Indian territory, the Carter family faced further hardships. During an Indian attack, Nathaniel, his wife, and an infant child were killed. Their three other children were abducted and taken to Canada, where two daughters were later ransomed. David Carter, the son, remained with his captors, married an Indian girl, and eventually returned to the United States for his education. These tragic events in the Carter family's history are often cited as examples of the so-called curse, but they reflect the harsh realities and dangers faced by settlers during those tumultuous times. General Herman Swift, a prominent resident who had served in the Revolutionary War under George Washington, experienced a tragic event in 1804. His wife, Sarah Fay, was struck by lightning and killed instantly while standing on the front porch of their home near Dudleytown. The general, devastated by the loss, subsequently went insane and passed away not long after. Some have attempted to downplay this incident by arguing that Swift did not actually live in Dudleytown, but on Bald Mountain Road, and that his insanity was simply due to old age and senility. But considering the sparsely populated area, the record of three people going insane in less than half a century raises questions about whether this could be a mere coincidence. Being struck by lightning while on the front porch can indeed be considered an unusual and tragic event. Horace Greeley, the renowned editor and founder of the New York Tribune, has also been connected to Dudley Town in the stories of the curse. The story suggests that Greeley's wife, Mary Young Cheney, was born in Dudley Town. But other reports say that she was raised in nearby Litchfield and never actually lived in Dudley Town. She left the area in 1833 and became involved in the wellness movement, residing in a vegetarian boarding house owned by Dr. Graham, who was associated with the creation of Graham crackers. It's good stuff. Later, she met and married Horace Greeley, the famous editor and founder of the New York Tribune, and in 1872, Greeley ran for president against Ulysses S. Grant and lost the election. So apparently, Mary, uh, shortly before the election, she suffered from lung disease and passed away in New York City with her husband and two daughters, Ida and Gabrielle, at her side. And some legends say that her death was a suicide. So that's kind of up in the air. Yeah, better for the curse. The curse story, if it was. Yeah. Kind of like the Limp family. Exactly. Uh, Greeley himself passed away a month later, and his electoral votes from the election were distributed to minor candidates. So that's... I don't like that. Like, oh, this guy died, so we're going to give his votes to other random people. So the votes of the people for Greeley just went to whoever. It's bullshit, right? All right. The decline of Dudley Town after the Civil War was not surprising, regardless of whether one believes in the curse. The geographical location was challenging, as we said, surrounded by hills at elevations of over 1,500 feet, making it difficult to cultivate successful crops or sustain life in the village. If you're looking to start a homestead somewhere, don't 
pick a vertical mountain face with no drinking water and everything's rock. I mean, I, I don't understand how people that lived in this time could make these kind of mistakes. You would think that they would be, you know, more versed at finding places that were able to sustain an existence. So that's weird to me. But the harsh winters and cold weather hindered agricultural efforts, even affecting the growth rate of hardy apple trees. The challenging geography of Dudley Town, characterized by rocky soil and excessive water, but not drinking water, made it difficult for the town to thrive, and the land often turned into swampy areas, creating a damp and unfavorable environment. Even without considering the idea of an actual curse, the sheer number of unusual deaths and mental conditions in such an isolated area suggests that something out of the ordinary might have been occurring in the little town. Also, I want to point out, like, if you're looking, you know, for a good spot for something, you have to go at all times of the year. You can't go in summer and be like, oh, there's plenty of berries, we'll be fine. You know, you have to plan for the winters, too. So, I don't know. It sounds like a case of stupid-ass people trying to make something into a settlement that was never meant to be. What tragedy befell John Patrick Brophy? Find out after a quick break. Welcome back, Crypt Keepers. Tell us about the Brophies. In 1901, when the population of Dudley Town had dwindled to almost nothing, tragedy struck one of the last residents, John Patrick Brophy. His wife passed away from consumption, a common ailment of the time, but still a heart-wrenching loss. Not long after the funeral, Brophy faced another blow when his two children vanished into the forest. Although it is possible that their disappearance was voluntary as they were accused of a minor offense, there is no evidence to support this. They vanished without a trace and were never found. The mysterious events in Dudley Town continue to challenge the efforts of skeptics and debunkers, leaving unanswered questions about the strange happenings in the area throughout its history. The combination of a difficult environment and a series of unusual incidents has contributed to the eerie reputation of Dudley Town. In the early 1900s, Dudley Town was completely abandoned. The remaining houses fell into disrepair, and the encroaching forest gradually reclaimed the land that was once the village. One additional case connected to Dudley Town involves Dr. William Clark, who arrived in Cornwall around 1900 and fell in love with the serene countryside and forested surroundings. Dr. Clark, born in 1877 and previously a professor of surgery at Columbia College of Physicians and Surgeons, was renowned as a leading cancer specialist in New York. The acronym for that is CECPUS, just in case you're interested. <laughs> He acquired 1,000 acres of land, including Dudley Town, and began constructing a summer and vacation home there. Over the next few years, Dr. Clark and his wife, Harriet Bank Clark, frequently visited their house on weekends and during the summer, using it as a holiday retreat for short trips and Thanksgiving. They enjoyed an idyllic life near Dudley Town until 1918. The story of Dr. William Clark and his wife, Harriet, adds to the list of tragic events associated with Dudley Town. One summer weekend, Dr. Clark had to leave for an emergency in New York, leaving his wife behind. 
When he returned 36 hours later, he found that she had gone insane, similar to some previous residents of the village. According to the tale, she spoke of strange creatures coming out of the forest and attacking her. Mrs. Clark committed suicide not long after. Records indicate that she suffered from a chronic illness for several years before her death, but the nature of this illness is not specified, leaving uncertainty about whether it was physical or mental. While we may never know for sure about the supposed sightings of strange creatures, the tragedy of Mrs. Clark's suicide adds to the list of unusual deaths in Dudleytown. Despite this heartbreak, Dr. Clark continued to maintain his house there and continued to visit. He remarried later on and continued to use his summer house until a larger home was completed nearby in 1930. In 1924, Dr. Clark, along with his wife, new wife, Carita, and other doctors, friends, and landowners formed the Dark Entry Forest Association, the purpose of which was to create a forest preserve to keep the land around Dudleytown in its natural, wild state forever. This initiative aimed to protect the area from further development and preserve its wilderness characteristics. They held their first meeting in 1926 with 41 members. Dr. Clark died in Cornwall Bridge in February of 1943, and Carita passed away five years later. Several of their children and family members still reside in the area. Today, Dudleytown is mostly deserted except for the curiosity seekers and tourists who come looking for thrills. Some people like us, probably. Yep. The Dark Forest Entry Association still owns most of the land the village once stood on. There are a group of homes on Bald Mountain Road that are very secluded from the main roads and they belong to the closest residents. These locals maintain that nothing supernatural takes place in this region, and perhaps they're right. It seems unlikely that the curse on Dudley Town ever really existed, but on the other hand, there is something strange about such a small area with so many disappearances, unusual deaths, suicides, and cases of insanity. The stories of a curse had to have gotten started for some reason, and perhaps this was why. As far as we know, ghostly tales began to surface in the 1940s. It was at this time that visitors to the ruins of the village began to speak of strange incidents and wispy apparitions in the woods. Even today, those who have visited the place boast of paranormal photographs, overwhelming feelings of terror, mysterious lights, sights and sounds, and even of being touched, pushed, and scratched by unseen hands. This would be Bigfoot territory too, by the way. Go ahead. Mm. The area of Dudley Town has been associated with various theories, including being referred to as a negative power spot, where entities may enter our world from the other side. Some researchers suggest that this could possibly explain the strange events in Dudley Town's history, such as eerie reports, sightings of strange creatures, and these outbreaks of insanity and madness. The place is often considered tainted or somehow soured, leading to speculations about what might be behind the mysterious occurrences. While some historians and debunkers dismiss such reports and theories, it is essential to keep an open mind when considering the events that have happened in Dudleytown. There have been strange happenings in the area from its earliest days, adding to the enigma surrounding Ding, ding, ding. I thought we weren't going to use that word today. Today, visiting Dudleytown can be risky, not due to ghosts, but because the Dark Forest Entry Association has prohibited trespassing on their property. Despite this restriction, many still venture into the area, defying both the spirits and the authorities. Unfortunately, the ruins of Dudley Town have suffered from vandalism in recent years, and the influx of trespassers has had a negative impact on the ecology of the region. In the end, whether one believes in the curse of Dudley Town or not, there is no denying that the place has a unique and mysterious history that continues to attract interest and curiosity. 
It remains a place of fascination and intrigue, even if the true nature of the mysteries remain a subject of debate. The forbidden and mysterious nature of Dudley Town has been a double-edged sword. While it piques the curiosity of many and attracts thrill seekers looking for eerie experiences, it has also led to vandalism, ecological damage, and disruption to the wilderness. Ensuring public access is managed in a way that respects the area's fragile ecosystem and historical significance is crucial. Until these measures are in place, the association at least would like people to avoid visiting Dudley Town to protect this unique and unsettled corner of New England for future generations to responsibly and respectfully enjoy. And if you don't responsibly and respectfully enjoy Dudley Town and you go in there and get some paranormal pictures or better yet some EVPs, send them on to crypticpodcast at gmail.com and we will put them, you know, on the Facebook page. We'll play the uh, EVPs on the show, all that fun stuff. If you do go, do not spray paint penises. Yeah, don't don't vandalize anything. Final thoughts after a quick break. Welcome back, Crypt Keepers. So what do you think? Curse or bullshit? Or somewhere in the middle, I guess. Uh, probably somewhere in the middle. I don't think it's a family curse. It could be something to do with the land. There's always interesting things that happen on, and it happens on land that was previously, you know, the home of a Native American tribe. But it could be something environmental too. Mm -hmm. And we've talked about certain kind of, you know, plants and spores and things like that that you can find. Hmm. Could be something like that, or it could be like they said, a negative energy spot, something, you know, like a ley line. Yeah, I mean, the mountain could be all quartz. You know, you could be on a crystal or limestone. Yeah. So, yep. Yep. Uh, yeah, I, I tend to agree. I don't think it's a family curse, but I have no issues whatsoever believing that the Mohawks, the Mohawks found this land as being sacred so that could mean that you know they inhabited the area it could mean that they used it as a burial ground or it could be that their you know their legends were like don't go there you know that's where the wendigo is or or that's where Mm -hmm. sasquatch is or that's where the evil spirits are so it could have been cursed even before then or it could have just been stolen from them and they're like well we're putting a curse on it then Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i have no problem believing that either all right you want to tell them what they need to know well first i want to make a commitment okay in front of our audience okay you hear this that is the vertical plane i'm committing to reading the rest of this book before we get too deep into the Halloween season. That is The Vertical Plane by Ken Webster, which is about the Doddleston messages. Oh. It's been a running joke between us <laughs> that I bought this book forever ago. I read a good chunk of it, and then I just stopped. Yeah. So I will. I think this would be a good Halloween story. For sure. And actually, if you guys wanted to read this yourselves, this book had a reputation for being really hard to get for a while. 
but there was a new release from I think 2021. I think that's when this one comes from. Yeah, 2021 edition. And they call out specifically in the preface for it that you know Ken Ken says that he understands that you know there's been speculation on the book. Basically, people almost using it like an investment, buying it because they think they can sell it for more. And that the prices have gone crazy, so he released a new edition specifically to fight that and make the book available to people. So it's out there again now. Might not be the easiest thing in the world to find. It might not be at like your local Barnes and Noble or whatever, but it's around. That's cool. But if you don't want to read that. it, you can listen to us. <laughs> well, no, you could do yeah, both. That is really cool. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So. Yeah, like we said, email us at crypticpodcast at gmail.com and all of our links to social media are going to be in the show notes. So check those out and don't forget to check out crypticpodcaststore at gmail.com because we've got new stuff going up all the time. There's some cool stuff out. The Nightcrawler line is out. The Battle of Los Angeles shirt is out. And uh, yeah, keep an ear out for this Zombie Road Tour that's going to be coming this will be free by the way i don't know if i mentioned that i'm not trying to charge people i just want to you know help you guys have a fantastic colony Mm -hmm. and to hang out with other like-minded weirdos like us you got it all right well that's all we've got for you tonight on dudley town what do we always say don't sleep critique good evening crib keepers Thank you.